Let's open our Bibles now, though, to the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1, as we are continuing in our, our new study of this great letter. We are, we are only on our third week, and we've only made it a couple verses in, but James has already been a great encouragement uh, to me, and I trust to you as well. Let's stand together once more in honor of the Word of God. As we read now, taking up in verse 5, hear the Word of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by our brother James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word. For this good and pure and perfect gift that we have received from you by your spirit. And we pray, God, that by your spirit, through your word, you would accomplish all of your good purposes in and among us this morning. We pray that Christ would be glorified. We pray that our, our eyes would be lifted to behold him. We pray that we would be transformed more and more into his likeness through the preaching of your word. I pray for myself as I proclaim your word that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Well, have you ever been faced with a trial of some kind and you didn't know what to do about it? Maybe, maybe you're in some kind of trial like that right now. Perhaps it's a, it's a major decision that needs to be made and you're not sure how to make it. You're not sure what way to go. Maybe there's some tension in, in a relationship in your life or in relationships in your life and you're not sure how to resolve it. Maybe you're feeling just overwhelmed. You have a multitude of difficulties that seem to be coming at you from various directions and you don't know what can be done about it, how to get out from under that, how to change the situation that you're in. Our lives are filled with trials, are they not? Sometimes we see trouble coming and we can prepare for it the best that we can. Often, though, trouble comes upon us. It just, as we saw from the words of our brother James last week, it just falls upon us. It, like it's laying in wait for us to attack us. And we've got no plan because we didn't see it coming. What do we do then? What, what do we do when trials overwhelm us and we just have no answers? We don't have an answer for them. We don't know what to do. We are, we are always looking for answers. When we encounter deep and hurtful trials. And we saw last week, one of the first questions we ask is, why? It's a normal question. It's a human question. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why, why did God allow this suffering into my life? Why has God allowed things to play out the way that they have? James answered those questions for us in the opening verses of this letter and Starting in, in verse 2, but verses 2 through 4 that we looked at last week. And James urged us, count it all joy. Count it all joy when we encounter trials. Because God has designed them for us to produce something. To produce, he told us, steadfastness 
And that steadfastness has a purpose, and that is to produce maturity. These design, these trials, our brother James showed us in our verses last week, are designed for us by God to produce a good result. To, to, to produce endurance in us so that our faith grows strong, so that our faith is less easily shaken, so that we can endure greater trials, so that God can call us to greater and greater works. Trials also are a means of God's pruning work in us. As, as, he, as he cuts away that which is ungodly in us and produces in us the character that he wants in us so that we become more Christ-like, more like Christ in every way. And so these are the two purposes of, of our trials. It's, it's two things for sure that God is doing in every trial we face, producing in us steadfastness and producing in us maturity and if we, if, if we know that, as we saw last week, if we know that, if we know that there's meaning in our trials, if, if we know that there is purpose in our pain and in our suffering, it will help us to bear up under the weight of that affliction with joy, as we are called to do. It doesn't mean trials aren't hard. They are hard. It doesn't mean they're not painful. They are painful. The trials themselves are not good. But if we realize there's meaning in them, that God means something by them, he means to do something for our good in and through them, then it will help us to see them differently. It will help them to see them with, with fresh eyes, with clear eyes, with, with a joyful perspective that wouldn't be ours any other way. So it's common for us to ask why, but that's not the only question we ask. Another question is, so what am I supposed to do about it? What now? What do I do now? Where do I go from here? What do I do about this trial and this suffering that I am facing? How am I supposed to respond? What am I supposed to do? And to answer all of this, we need wisdom. If we're going to respond to our trials with joy, if we're going to understand that God is at work for our good in them, such that we can bear up under them with joy, trusting in him, we need wisdom for that. If we're going to know how to respond to our trials and what it is we're supposed to do, we need wisdom for that. But the wisdom we need doesn't come from our own reasoning. We're not, it's not that we're so smart, we just need to think harder. It certainly doesn't come from the counsel of those who don't know God and their wisdom. We, we need an understanding that we don't have. We need something that comes from, from outside of us, a perspective that's bigger than our perspective. The wisdom we need is what James will call in chapter 3, the wisdom from above. The wisdom that is from above. It's a wisdom, he tells us in chapter 3, verse 17, that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We need that wisdom. That wisdom from above us. That wisdom with a greater perspective than we've got. I love what Augustine said about the human life that essentially he said the human life is like having your face pressed up against a stained glass window you can see the colors you can see the broken glass but you don't have the perspective to see the artwork that's what we need we need it we need wisdom from somebody who knows the end from the beginning who knows the full product who sees the full picture we need divine guidance that's what we need but how do we get it we need it we need that perspective that sees the whole work of art. But how do we get it? 
Well, what do you do when you don't know what to do? That's what James is dealing with in these verses. Again, he says, let's hear these words again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Brother, sister, do you need wisdom today? Do you need divine guidance for some trial that you're facing? Some, some obstacle that's in front of you that seems insurmountable to you? You're facing a dilemma that you don't have an answer to. You're struggling and you don't know what to do. If so, there is hope for you in this passage right here that we're looking at this morning. There's an answer for you in the word of God. James tells us, James says to you, if you lack wisdom, what you need to do before you do anything else is to ask God for it. Ask God for the wisdom that you need. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. When we face trials, we need wisdom. Well, what's wisdom? Well, wisdom is that God-given discernment that enables us to make decisions that are consistent with God's will. And it's not just that. It doesn't just stop there. It gives us, it, 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 it gives us God-given discernment that enables us to make decisions consistent with God's will, but it also helps us, causes us to live accordingly. That's wisdom. To know what God wants and to put it into practice. That's wisdom. Wisdom will guide you in answering these questions. Questions like, what now? What, what should I do? It will guide you in answering the question, where do I go from here? How do we get this wisdom, this divine wisdom? Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so the first step in getting this wisdom is coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no moving forward without that. The very beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But for those who already fear the Lord... For those who have already put their faith in Christ, what is our next step? What's the first step we take? We ask God for it. We, we simply ask him. He wants you to ask him for it. Could, could it be that the reason you don't have wisdom for the situation that you're facing, for the trial that you're facing, is that you never actually asked God for it? He, he, and he's just waiting for you to ask him for wisdom. It's, it's easy for us. It's easy for us who know to sort of take things for granted. And we, we never actually get around to asking God for the wisdom that we need. To asking God for those things that we need. The very first thing we should do when we face trials is to pray. That is the first result. Often we talk in terms like, well, you can't do anything else. At least you can pray. No, that's backwards. The first thing we do is pray. The first thing is not call a friend. The first thing is not search the internet for an answer, which is probably a bad solution no matter what. The first thing isn't just give it some time and it'll come around. The first thing is to bow your knee before the Lord of heaven and earth and ask him for wisdom that is from above. As you consider the trial that you're facing, whatever that thing is, just ask yourself, have I actually done that? 
I've actually done that in this situation. Or have I done all these other things and just assumed that? This command here is in the present tense. In other words, asking God for wisdom should be the regular, constant practice of our prayer life. This should be the repeat prayer in our lives. God, give me wisdom. And as we examine our lives and our prayers, have we adopted a posture of prayer that seeks wisdom from God over and over and over again, and certainly in the trials that we face? Is, is, is this kind of prayer so much a structure of your daily life that you are habitually and continually taking your problems to the Lord? When we face trials, we're often lacking more than just wisdom. We, we, we might have a trial that needs money and we don't have it. We might have a trial that requires lots of time and we don't feel like we've got that time. We might need helps with relationships. And it doesn't seem to matter how much wisdom we might have on our end because the other person is not being responsive. We might lack the ability to overcome our trials. All of that may be true. We might be lacking in all of those things, but whatever else we lack, may we never be lacking in prayer. We need never be lacking in prayer. It is the one thing in every trial, in every circumstance that you can abound in if you're willing. There's no limit here at all. Too often we bring greater pain into our own lives because we don't go to God in prayer. We charge ahead. We make our own way. We, we make bad decisions. We dig ourselves into a deeper hole because we haven't stopped for prayer. We haven't stopped to seek the wisdom that is from above. That shouldn't be the case for us who belong to God. Sadly, it is. Because we examine our lives, we can see the ways that that happens so easily. We just presume it. But it shouldn't be that way for those who belong to God. Whatever trials we face, however many trials we are facing, how insurmountable they may seem to us, we should seek wisdom from God in prayer. Who better? Who better to seek wisdom from than God? Who has higher wisdom? Who has truer wisdom? Whose wisdom is more pure? And he's got all the wisdom we could ever need. There's no situation ever that perplexes God. Nothing even makes him pause and think. He's never experienced a moment of doubt. He's never had a millisecond of confusion. He is never at a loss for what to do. He always has a plan. He always knows the right answer. He always has seen the end from the beginning. He has always known what is best. He always knows exactly what you need. And if you have been saved by him, if you belong to him, then you have access to him. You have the privilege of speaking to the God of all wisdom anytime you want to. How amazing is that? Anytime you want, as often as you want. You, you couldn't get on the phone right now. I doubt there's one person in this room who could get on the phone right now and talk to any world leader. You couldn't call any of them and have them pick up your call. They don't know you. They're not taking your call. But the God who is sovereign over all of them is ready to listen anytime. How incredible is that? 
He's ready to receive your pleas. He's ready to hear your cries for wisdom. And not only hear, he's ready to respond. He not only knows you, he loves you. He's not only the almighty God, he's our father. How incredible is this God? And so go to him with confidence, Christian. Go to him with the confidence that he has all you need, that he will grant to you all that you need for all that he has called you to do. He has promised that he will do this. He always, always supplies his people with whatever they need for whatever he has called them to do. There is no lack in that whatsoever. We, we may lack what we think we need. I think I need money. I think I need time. I think I need more support. We may lack what we think we need, but you will never lack what you actually need. What you really need to do what God has called you to do right now. One of the ways he supplies this to us is through prayer. It's one of the means by which he provides for every single one of our needs. We ask him. We ask him for what we need. And that's one of the ways he provides for all that we need. The, the writer to Hebrews remind us that we're, we're invited to, he says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think of that, Christian. Go to the White House right now seeking wisdom from a man who has none to give. And you'll find a fence. And you'll find armed guards. And you'll find you have no access. But the throne room is open to you. How incredible is this? You can walk right in. You can walk right in and he will hear you and he will help you. Let us not waste our privilege. How easily we forget. To help motivate us to this, to prayer. James gives us two reasons to pray in faith. The first is a positive. The second is a negative. So he's telling us to pray when we need wisdom, but he wants to give us the reasons for it. He wants to give us the reasons to ask God in faith for wisdom. On the positive side, we're to pray for wisdom in faith because God is gracious. Look at verse 5 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's an astounding thing. We can know this for sure. It is, a, it is a sure promise. If you ask for wisdom, he will give it. How do we know this? We know this because of who God is. Because it's his very nature. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says nearly the same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And, the one, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That sounds a lot like what James is saying here. If you are in need, come to God and ask him for the wisdom that you need. Perhaps James, the brother of Jesus, had, had heard Jesus say these words. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues, verse 9. Which of you, if, he asks, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here's Jesus' logical reasoning. If an earthly father would give gifts to, good gifts to his son, how much more will our heavenly father give good things to us who belong to him if we ask him for them? So, so how do we know that God will give us wisdom if we ask him for it? We know because our heavenly father is good. Because he is gracious. Because he gives good gifts. He, he gives these good gifts because he's giving them out of his nature. That's who he is. That's what James tells us in verse 5. Ask God who gives. That that phrase, who gives, God who gives, it's a participle in the, in the Greek. It means it's just functioning to describe who God is. God who gives. Literally, the words are, James is calling God the giving God. If you lack wisdom, ask the giving God. He's the giving God. It's almost like a title. It's almost like a name. Our God is the giving God. And that is why we should ask him for wisdom. He's got the wisdom that we need. And it would be one thing for God to have all the wisdom that there was. To, to be the God of all wisdom. The, the creator, omniscient, all-knowing, created all things, sees the end from the beginning, knows exactly what's going on in every situation, but he's got it and he's keeping it to himself. And he's sitting back watching things play out and kind of mocking us for our ignorance. Well, that wouldn't be good news at all. But our God is the giving God. He has got all that wisdom and he wants to give it to us. He's the giving God. He will give you wisdom because he's the giving God. He is by nature the God who generously gives good gifts to his children. Look at how James describes the giving nature of God. He does it in three ways with three phrases here. First, he says that God gives generously, meaning God gives wholeheartedly, without reservation, without hesitation. He's a never a reluctant giver. He always gives generously with a full heart. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, while we were God's enemies, God gave his son for us. So now that we are his children, no longer his enemies, his children, will he not graciously give us all that we need for the life that he has called us to? And the answer is, yes, he will. God is first generous, he says. Second then, he says, God gives freely to all. In context here, all is referring to a specific group of people. Those who are in the family of God through faith in Christ. It's the same group of people that James has already mentioned in verse 2, who he calls the brothers. James is speaking to the brothers. He says, God will give to all of you if you ask him. Wisdom will be granted to all of God's children who ask him for it. As a good heavenly father... He will give his children the good gift that is wisdom. 
But notice this wisdom is offered to all who do what? All who ask. All who ask for it. It's not all who have earned it. It's all who ask. His wisdom is a free gift of his grace. It's not based on whether we deserve it or not. And isn't that good news? Isn't that incredible news? You may have made a lot of mistakes that actually led you to the trial you're in right now. The thing you're facing as we talk about it, maybe even as we talked about it last week, but you're like, yeah, it's my sin that got me here. Surely I'm stuck. Know this, friend. His offer to give you wisdom stands. It's not about earning wisdom. If you forsook his wisdom before, you were going to go your own way. You were going to do your own thing. But now you see your need for it. And now you want it. Then ask him for it. It's not too late. Ask him now. You you can be assured that if you ask, he will not reject you. You can be assured because of the third description that James uses. God gives to all how? Without reproach. Without reproach. Reproach means to find fault, to criticize, to, to insult. Here's what this means. God doesn't criticize us because we're so constantly in need for wisdom from him. He won't mock you or shame you for coming to him again and again and again for wisdom. Not even if you need it so badly because of your own sin having gotten you into the situation you're in. John MacArthur says this, he will not remind us of how undeserving and unworthy we are, obvious though that may be. Nor will he chide us for not asking sooner, fully understanding that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. No, he gives without reproach. God made you to be dependent on him. That was his idea. It's part of his good design and his good creation. So he does not expect you to know all the answers. He doesn't expect you to have a solution for every problem. And even as we mature in the faith and grow in in obedience and in wisdom, we still need to continually go to him for answers. That's how God made this whole thing. Trials are designed to make us dependent on God. That's part of their purpose. It's one of their meanings. And so he welcomes your prayer for wisdom. He's glad to answer it. He wants us to come to him. To to come to the overflowing fountain of wisdom is to honor him, not to bother him. It, It doesn't bother God. You're not annoying him by coming to him for wisdom again and again and again. That is worship. It's one of the ways we honor God is by coming to him repeatedly and saying, I am not sufficient, God. You are sufficient. I don't have all that I need, God. You have all that I need. That's the point of prayer. Prayer isn't saying, I'm enough. Thanks for getting this whole thing started. That's not how we honor God. We honor God when we say to him, I am not enough, but you are enough. And so I come to you, the source, the overflowing fountain for all that I need. So keep coming to him again and again and again. He wants that. He's the gracious giving God who will grant you the wisdom that you need. Pray to him in faith. 
Because he's the gracious, generous God. There's a second reason, though, that James gives us for why we must pray for wisdom in faith. This one's a negative one. We have to pray for wisdom in faith because doubt is dangerous. Doubt is destructive. Beginning in verse 6, James tells us, God answers your prayer for wisdom, but he does so on one condition. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. In faith means to have genuine, unwavering trust in God. It is the ongoing day-to-day faith that is the fruit of saving faith. It's the faith that believes in God's promises. It's the faith that trusts in God's character. And we pray with full confidence, expecting to receive wisdom because of who God is and because of what he has promised. That's faith. Fully trusting in him. Fully trusting in his promises. Fully trusting in his might. Fully trusting in his character and his goodness. Fully relying on him. I go to some venues and some events sometimes. Sometimes it's like a wedding. They've got rental chairs that they use. They're these little flimsy white chairs, plastic, plastic chairs. I don't trust them at all. Like not even a little bit. I am not convinced that they're going to hold me. And what do you do if you're not sure about a chair that you're about to sit on? Well, you don't just throw yourself onto it. If I go to some wedding and they've got these awful chairs, which should be outlawed for adults, and I see them there, I go, we could have trouble today. This could be, so I'm going to just very carefully lower myself. I'm not giving up all my weight from my legs here. We're going we're gonna to just ease our way into this chair and see what it's going to do. I'm not going to be the guy at this wedding who breaks a chair in front of 300 people. I'm never fully confident. Even once I'm in it, every time I move, I'm like, this could be the moment. I'm never fully confident. I'm always on guard. I'm always conscious. I'm always paranoid. Did I feel something? Is it giving away? I stand up very quickly. I might be okay still. That's not trust. That's doubt. I'm always relying on myself. I'm always up in my head about what's going on. But when I come home after, after a long day, when I come home and I'm exhausted, when I come home and all I want to do is sleep, I'm never worried if the bed's going to hold me. I, I, I just throw my whole weight onto it when I get in bed. There's, there's, sometimes I, I feel like I collapse into the bed and I'm asleep before my head even hits the pillow. I'm not worried at all. I'm just, I just went in this thing and I don't even know how I got in it. I'm just in it now. No worries whatsoever in the bed's ability to hold me. No second thoughts about its trustworthiness. I fully rely on it to do what it was designed to do. That is trust. That is faith. Likewise, to trust God day to day is to just fully rely on him. You put your whole weight into him knowing that he'll hold. Whatever else is going on, he will hold. I may not hold. He will hold. I may fail, he will not fail. I may falter, he will not falter. I will get tired, he will not get tired. You can trust him. That's the call. 
And note that this, this faith here is contrasted. We pray, believing that he is the wise, good, gracious giver, that he will keep his promises, that he will guide us. But that is contrasted with what James says, the one who doubts. Doubting means to have this dispute within yourself, to be torn in two directions, to, to have a divided mind regarding God. This word doubts is in the present tense. It's, it's describing the one who's, who's characterized by this doubt. It's, it's me sitting at that wedding reception. And no matter what else is going on at that table, in my mind is always the doubt about this chair. Now you know what's going on with me if you see me at a wedding. <laughs> the, the fact that James urges us to ask in faith with all full confidence that he even has to say that to us it reveals something that we already know about our hearts don't we and that's that in our hearts we don't always trust God not perfectly not in every moment our trust leaks in the good moments we do we're sitting here and we're hearing God's word proclaimed and we're like yes absolutely and then Tuesday afternoon hits And if we examine ourselves, we see it leaked out pretty quick. We get anxious about the future because of misplaced trust. At times, in our deepest trials, we question God and his purposes. As as we wait to see his promises fulfilled, we grow impatient. That's just some of the common ways that we don't trust God. So though we trust him fully for salvation, we must continue on. We must continue fully trusting in him day to day, resting in him, trusting in him to hold. There's a kind of person who, although they claim to trust God, really doesn't trust him. That's who James, I think, is talking about here. He's talking about the one who characteristically doubts God. The doubter is a person who doesn't genuinely trust God. This sort of, we've all got our moments, but this sort of defines them. They're me at the wedding reception, always divided in their mind, always doubting, always questioning. They might attend church, they might read their Bibles, they might even pray, but ultimately their trust is somewhere else, in something else. James describes this person with an illustration as he goes on in verse 6. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. We live in Indiana, so most of us haven't had an opportunity to be on the open sea in a major storm. Maybe you have, but I'm sure you've seen it on TV. It's terrifying. It's a horrifying thing. On the sea, storms kick up quickly. They become very violent. The vastness and immensity and power of the sea is far beyond our control. We are absolutely at its mercy. Even today, with all of our technology, a ship on the ocean in the midst of a major storm is just at the mercy of the sea. We read about an occurrence like this in the Gospels. The disciples trapped on a storm in the Sea of Galilee. These experienced fishermen, these men who had been on that sea and been around it their whole lives, are sure that they're going to die because their little boat is completely at the mercy of the storm. I'm sure they're thinking of all the people they've known and loved who have died on the sea in just such a storm. James grew up not far from the Sea of Galilee. This sea, which is a very unique location and in between the mountains and the Mediterranean, 
sea and the desert and the hurricane force winds will just kind of come out of nowhere and sweep through like they're blowing through a funnel. And these massive, disastrously dangerous storms come, very violent with raging winds. That's the picture James has in mind to describe the doubter. The one who does not trust God fully in trials. He says that one who is not trusting in God will be tossed about by the waves of uncertainty and foolishness. They haven't anchored their souls in God. They haven't followed his wisdom. And so they're going to be blown about. Blown about by by false doctrine. Blown about by worldly wisdom. Their life is always going to be in a state of turmoil, like a rudderless ship on a stormy sea. James says that person, a person who who has rejected wisdom from God, who's not trusting in God, he shouldn't expect God to answer his prayer. He says in verse 7, that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. That, That word suppose normally means to think. But it's also used often to describe presumptuous thinking, as it is here. In other words, the doubter must not have the audacity to think he's going to receive anything at all from the Lord. God is under no obligation to answer the one who distrusts him. This is someone torn between God and the world. They are torn between wisdom that is from above and the wisdom that is from the world. John Bunyan calls this man Mr. Facing Both Ways. That's that's who this person is. Mr. Facing Both Ways. Perhaps this person hypocritically participates in religious ceremonies, but their heart is far from God. They do not trust in him. Not truly. James warns much later in the letter, in chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He couldn't say it any more clear. You cannot embrace the world and hold God in your heart. You're going to trust in him and embrace the world. The Apostle John said something similar in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He said, do not love the world of the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The one who loves the world, who follows the world in its wisdom, is not one who knows God. So James has told us. It's what John is telling us. And so because the doubter is double-minded, because they are constantly vacillating between what God has said and what the world says, vacillating between belief and unbelief, he is, James says, unstable in all his ways. Unstable. It's to be, to be restless. In this case, it's restless with doubt. It's used later in this same letter, that same word, to describe rebelliousness. The the, the one who in his heart rejects God and his word and instead follows the world and its wisdom will be one who is only unstable. 
will be one whose life is a moral wreck. Kent Hughes says, the doubter is completely out of control. He's on a wild ride to nowhere. (coughs) That's the picture James is painting for us. Adrift on a storm on the sea. Completely out of control. Going wherever the wind and the waves take us. We need to examine our own hearts when we hear such statements. When we hear such warnings as this. <coughs> if, you, if you find yourself doubting God's word. If you find yourself doubting God's promises. If you find yourself doubting who he is. Doubting his goodness. Yet, nevertheless, going through the religious motions. Well, we show up because that's what we do and we do these things because it looks right. You might just be the double-minded man that James is speaking of. Take this passage as a warning if that is you, if you are constantly doubting God. Take it as a call for you to come to saving faith in Christ, to the only one who saves, to the only one in whom all wisdom resides, to the only one who is trustworthy and will hold. For those of us who belong to Christ, we wrestle with doubts too, don't we? It won't do to pretend we don't. We do. What do we do with it? Well, James's description here of the doubter, his call to us to, to pray to God in full confidence to this same God who called us to saving faith, it tells us what to do. We bring it to the Lord. We bring it to the one who saved us. We bring it to the one who has all wisdom. When, when, when we doubt in trials and we don't count it all joy, We don't trust God's good hand at work in it. And we can't muster it up. We feel like we are underwater. We call on the Lord for the wisdom that comes from above. That we would see things as they really are. That we would understand them. That this same God who saved us and gave to us saving faith would give to us day-to-day trusting faith. And the call to us is this from our brother James. Don't pray like an unbeliever. Unsure of who God is. Unsure of his promises. Pray to him like he is. Pray to him like like he really is one who's worthy to be trusted. Pray to him like he, he is the one who really has the solutions. Like he is the one who's really working out his good purposes. Like he really is the one who has called us to himself and hears and answers our prayers. Pray like a Christian. The trials in our lives are many. We face questions. We all do. Questions of what to do when we don't know what to do. James tells us that when we don't know what to do, the very first thing to do is this. Pray to God. Pray to God for wisdom. That's the first thing. And to be sure, prayer is not the only means of God giving us wisdom. 
God has given us his authoritative, ever-wise, divinely inspired words in the scriptures to guide us with the aid of the Holy Spirit. That's why one way we get wisdom is by doing what we're doing right now. So James says, first pray, but that's not the only thing we do. That's why we're here. We want wisdom from above. We we rely on counsel from God's people to help us, to to understand God's word, to apply it to our hearts. It's, It's one of the ways by which God delivers and answers our prayer. God, give me wisdom from above. And God says, yeah, here's how I'll do it. My word, my church, my people. So James isn't calling us to do nothing but pray. He doesn't say pray and then do nothing else. Just lay around and wait for it all to come together. But wisdom cannot be gained apart from prayer. His wisdom is given in answer to this prayer. We need prayer. So brother, sister, do you need wisdom today? Are you in a trial that it is so hard for you to count it all as joy? You can't see how you could ever genuinely be in that position. Call on the Lord for wisdom. Do you need divine guidance for the trials that you're facing? You're struggling and you don't know what to do. Call on the Lord. Pray to God for the wisdom that you need. And true to himself, the giving God will freely, gladly, without reproach, give it to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do call on you for wisdom. We do acknowledge that in ourselves we are not enough. Lord, your glorious saving gospel has revealed that truth to us. Your spirit has opened up our eyes, caused our hearts to live such that we believe it and we knew it. And and we called on you for salvation. But Lord, we acknowledge that in all of life we are wholly dependent on you. That is how you've designed us. That is how you've designed this world. You are God, we are not. So we come to you trusting and believing and we pray to you, help our unbelief. Cause our faith to grow. Cause our trust to grow. Not not lip service, not positive confession, but deep, settled faith. Trust in you. Cause that to grow in us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would Count it all joy. Whatever it is that we encounter, that, it, that, that too is not natural to us. It is something that your spirit must provide to us. You must give us the wisdom to see things rightly as they are. But I pray too, Lord, as you produce a deep, settled faith in us, you would produce in us a deep and settled joy as a, as a product of that faith that we would trust in you. Produce in us steadfastness. Produce in us maturity. Produce in us joy and faithfulness, love. Lord, we pray that you would do your good work and we pray believing that you will, sure sure and true to your word. I thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. I thank you, Lord, that we're not abandoned in trials to figure it out ourselves, but you are near to us. You are near to the brokenhearted. You you even store our tears in your bottles. You even count our tossing and turning in the night. You, You love us and you know us. And I pray, God, that you would cause us to trust in you. 
to throw our full weight into you because we know that you will hold. I do pray, Lord, for those that are struggling deeply right now with trials, with suffering of various kinds. Lord, would you, in your kindness to them, Lord, by your spirit, give them hope right now. Lord, even as they sit, fill them with hope. By your spirit, lift their eyes to behold their Savior. Lord, let them trust in your sovereignty. Let them trust in your goodness. Let them trust in your transcendent power, but your nearness as well. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you alone are worthy to be trusted, to be worshipped, to be adored, to be glorified. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people who live our lives in the full knowledge of your presence at all times, that that would transform us day by day, hour by hour, from one glory to the next in the likeness of our Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.